on this day around the world, a thousand choirs in as many languages will stand and sing the Easter story. He is alive. He is not here. He is risen. I cannot imagine coming to church on Easter Sunday and not hearing that phrase. You've heard it, and you're going to hear it again. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, Matthew tells it this way. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. How do you put the Easter story into words? What does it mean and what relevance does it have for you and me? I want to say to you this morning that I believe that the Easter story is a heavenly invitation to share a grand celebration. Think about it. A heavenly invitation. Matthew says that an earthquake occurred as the angel came and rolled the stone away from the tomb where Jesus had been buried. And then the angel sat on that stone. I like that. I like the idea that he said, I want to stick around and see the expressions of those who come to visit an empty grave. And as the women came to see where they had laid Jesus, the angel then speaks to them and says, come and see. Come and see. That's the heavenly invitation. But the grand celebration occurs when the angel says, go tell. Don't just come here, build a little tabernacle and stay in worship and enjoy the moment. I need you to go and do something for me. I want you to go and share what you've seen and experienced at this site. Jesus says as much as the women are making their way away from the tomb, and he says, don't stop here. Go tell the brethren what you've seen and meet me in Galilee, and there they will see me personally. 
Come and see. Go and tell. I think that's what Easter is all about. Matthew says it this way, and I like the way he begins this chapter by saying it was at the end of the Sabbath. We know the Sabbath for them was Saturday, correct? Jesus was crucified on Friday. As the Gospels tell it, the the sun was ending the day and the Sabbath was beginning and so they were in haste to take Jesus down from the cross and to bury him in a grave. Not having been prepared for that moment, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. It was a tomb that belonged to a very wealthy man by the name of, of Arimathea. It was a garden tomb. And so as they laid his body there, perhaps just wanting to make sure that they were not tending to the dead as the Sabbath approached. They laid his body there, and the Roman guards would have sealed the tomb with that stone. Can you imagine what the Sabbath would have been like for those disciples? They'd seen him die on the cross. They'd watched as friends took his body and lovingly carried him to that grave and buried him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And all that Sabbath, they would have retreated to the upper room. That they would have mourned the loss of their friend, their teacher. Jesus was taken from them. They were no longer in his presence. They could no longer hear his voice. They could no longer be comforted by his words. They could no longer be inspired by his presence. And their hopes were dashed. You might say that as it came to the end of the Sabbath, the disciples had come to the end of their hope. They'd hoped that he would present himself as Messiah. They'd hoped that he would overthrow Rome. They'd hoped that he would be the Savior of the world and it would be a message that Jesus would share to the ends of the globe. But he was taken from them. Darkness enveloped them. Despair overwhelmed them. And there they were left in the upper room, sobbing, weeping, crying out to God, wondering why, why, how could we have walked with Jesus for these three years and believed that he indeed was the Redeemer and now he's dead and he's taken from us. And so the women leave that somber mood and make their way back to the tomb. Another gospel tells us that they took with them aloe and spice. It was proper burial procedure for them to go and to properly take care of the body of Jesus. And they went under the cover of darkness. I think it was because they wanted to be undetected. They simply wanted to take care of Jesus in the proper way. But can you imagine what surprise gripped them when they got there and they discovered that the stone had been rolled away by the earthquake and the angel as he moved the stone and as he sat upon the stone. I wonder if God told the angel, now when you go to roll the stone away, make sure you hang around to tell them what's occurred. 
because the soldiers, they dropped dead out of fear. I mean, just, just right there on the spot, fainted at the moment, at the sight of an angel because his appearance was like lightning and his garment white as snow. And the women approached with fear and trepidation. But as they looked through the darkness, they discovered that the tomb was no longer sealed. Wondering, had someone preceded them there at the grave of Jesus? And the angel says, oh no, come and see for yourself. He is not here. And then the angel says, he is risen just as he said he would. I like repeating that, you know, because somebody has told me, Bill, the only reason people come to church on Easter Sunday is that they want to hear if the preacher will say one more time, Jesus is alive. Well, he is. And the women were excited. They were so excited to obey what the angel had told them and what Jesus had told them to do that they went back to the upper room and as they began to share the story of what they'd seen and what they experienced, all of the mood and the temperament of the disciples changed. It went counterclockwise, 180 degrees, and the somber spirit now turned to excitement and enthusiasm and hope and joy and the reality that Jesus who was dead is now alive. And they had to think about it for a little while, I believe, but then they began to really focus on the idea. He said he would do it. And if we can't believe what he said about being raised from the dead, we can't believe anything else that he said. But because he is alive, the master teacher has now also mastered death. You see, folks, what this means for you and me is that when we get to the end, like the end of the Sabbath, we need to remind ourselves that the end usually marks the beginning of something else. And the beginning for you and me is a new understanding, a new perspective, a, a greater, deeper appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's able to accomplish in our lives. How often we forget this. Now, I read the stories in the Old Testament about those Israelites wandering through the wilderness and you read there in Scripture and follow them on an ancient map and you'll discover that they get to a place and they have no water to drink. Well, water's pretty important in the desert, wouldn't you think? And so they begin to grumble and complain, but God answers and he provides for them water in the wilderness and they drink and they are quenched and they are appreciative and, and then they move 40 miles in the wilderness and they get to a place and there is no water and they begin to grumble and complain and they forgot 40 miles back God had provided a miracle for them. They just forgot to believe that he could do it again. In Mark chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Jesus fed the multitude. In Mark 8, it's, a, it's about 4,000 people that he fed with, with just a little handful of food, multiplying the bread and the fish like he did so many times. And then in that same chapter, the very next thing you read is the disciples are in a boat and they are grumbling and complaining over the fact that they don't have any bread. 
And that same day, they just seen Jesus multiply bread and fish and feed a multitude, but yet they forgot that the same Lord who provided the miracle back then could provide for them at that same moment. Why is it that after Easter Sunday, we walk out into the real world and all the circumstances of life overwhelm us and cause us to drop to despair and we forget that the same Lord who overcame death can overcome our circumstances. If only we'll remember. If only we'll exercise just a little bit of faith. It just takes that of a mustard seed to move the mountain. So why can't we exercise the faith at the moment when we need it? That's what we have to come and see. And the celebration out there is a witness to the world that the God we serve, the God we love, the God we worship is not dead. That is what makes the Christian faith so unique. I know you've heard it before. Go anywhere else into the world that you want to go and visit any grave of any great person of any kind. And if you could... Dig up the grave, and you know what you'll find? You'll find the remains of the person who was there. But you go to that empty tomb in Jerusalem. You go to the garden site where the stone has been rolled aside, and you see a little sign that someone has put there. It's a commercialization, I'm sure, for visitors for those who just want to go and visit a tomb site, but the sign speaks for itself as it resonates with Scripture. He is not here. He is risen. The celebration that we have is that you and I, every single moment of every day, live the truth of Scripture where Paul says it this way. He says this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality and when this corruptible will have put on incorruption and when this mortal will have put on immortality then the saying is come to pass death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting oh grave where is thy victory you see you and I can stand at the graveside of loved ones and friends and family, and we don't have to stand with clenched fists and through our gritting teeth say words of animosity toward the enemy, but we raise our hands in victory to God who gives us a deeper understanding of what the grave is about. It is not the end. It marks the beginning. It's like the young couple who was standing at the altar getting married. And the preacher led them through the whole ceremony of the do's. I do, I do, I do. You may kiss the bride. He turns around and says, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And he hears the groom wipe the sweat off his brow and say, oh, I'm proud that's over. And the preacher says, oh, no, it's just beginning. <laughs> Our celebration it's not about death. It's about life and what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
but he emptied himself. And took upon himself the form of a human being. And being made in the likeness of man, he humbled himself as a servant. And became obedient even on the cross. And then I love the next part where he says, because of this, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every person on the earth, above the earth, under the earth, every person one day will kneel and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said he would rise. He appeared to a multitude of people for about 40 days after his resurrection. Especially to me, he appeared to his brother. You know, you can fool a lot of people in this world. You can't fool your family. But the celebration that we have as we live in this world is that this risen Savior lives in us. It's a heavenly invitation to share a grand celebration. Would you prepare yourselves this morning as we come to the Lord's table? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. The bread represents his body. As often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cup represents his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. As often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of Him. Will you pray with me? Father, how grateful we are to be able to come today and to remind ourselves of how much You love us and all that You've accomplished through Jesus on the cross. We pray, Lord, that our faith will be strengthened. They will be motivated to share the good news of who Christ is.
and how he lives our lives through us. We thank you for the memory of the Lord's table, for the body and the blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we consume what we've been given as food and drink, that we would allow your spirit to consume our lives. Father, if there's any person here, young or old, who has yet to make public a commitment to Jesus Christ by your spirit, I pray you would convince them of the need to do that very thing. Give them the freedom and the courage to come forward, even on this Sunday of Sundays, and say, I want to profess Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life and follow him in baptism. Lord, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because your spirit would lead them and because we receive members in many ways, let them come and inquire of membership in that way. We give this invitation, Father, on your behalf. Through Jesus, we pray.